Hi again, and welcome to the Cory Doctor podcast. I'm going to warn you right now, I might have to pause for a second because I'm expecting some uh, Christmas past, Christmas present, Christmas future visitors. I've got a handyman coming to quote on painting the place before we turn it over to the tenants and move to Los Angeles. And movers coming to give us some boxes to put the stuff in when we move to Los Angeles. And a grad student coming by to interview me about the access to knowledge treaty that she's doing her thesis on. Um, so that's, uh, as you can gather, why it's been quite a while since you've heard a, an installment in this podcast. I'm reading to you from iRowboat. This is a story that I just finished. Uh, attentive readers will note that it's so raw that a character's had a name change between last uh, uh, podcast and this one. She, uh, there's a character named Janice, who's now called Janet. Um, just got back from Rio and the iSummit. Fantastic. Uh, what a great conference. Amazing to meet all the international Creative Commons activists. Oh, there's the mover. One second, please. Let's see, where was I? Oh, yeah. So, Rio. Rio was awesome, uh, but it was three days round trip in transit, two and a half days in Rio, and I got a whopping one hour to walk the streets and beach of Rio. That was enough to tell me that, God, I really need to go back and spend more than an hour there at some point. I've put that on my uh, lifelong to-do list to go and really properly see Rio because it was incredible. Um, heartbreaking, really. I had this hotel room looking out on the Copacabana Beach. If you kind of stuck your head at the window and, and craned your neck, you could see it. But it was kind of like the Rio channel. Uh, I'd get up in the morning and stick my head out and then do some writing and some stretching and physiotherapy for my dicky knees. And then I would go and sit in a basement for 10 hours at a conference. And then I'd come back up to my room and go to sleep and do it again. So, boy, do I ever want to go back and really actually just get out there and be a part of the Rio channel as opposed to just watching it out the window. Um, I'm nearly finished this book, Little Brother, that I uh, started about three weeks ago, this young adult novel, and it's the only thing I'm thinking about. I'm writing 3,000, 5,000, sometimes 10,000 words a day, and I'm hoping it'll be done in a week or two, and it's just so exciting to be working on this. It's one of those those kind of fugue states where creativity is just flowing on every, on every uh, cylinder, and it's just awesome. It's the best feeling in the world. Nothing feels like it. Leaving for Rome in the morning. It's my anniversary. It's kind of a farewell also to, to Europe. Um, one of the nice things about living in London is that it's a hub for discount air carriers. And you can go anywhere for like practically nothing. And Rome this time of year is supposed to be brilliant. So I can't wait. Although I'm going to be ducking away from the, uh, from the festivities every now and again to bang out another thousand words of Little Brother because uh, this book has got to get out. So without further ado, I'm going to read to you another 10 or 15 minutes of uh, iRowboat uh, with the caveat, of course, that I might have to pause again once the mover turns up and show them around, uh, get the boxes, or once the painter shows up and show them around the flat, or once the grad student shows up and interview, be interviewed with her about this treaty. So I hope you're having a good day. Uh, I apologize in advance for the hoarseness of my voice, uh, that long uh, 30 hours in transit and coach seems to have given me a bit of a cold. Talk to you later, and here is more of iRoboat. The hitchhiker had leapt across from the other vessel as the two ships passed in the night. It was a wandering missionary for Asimovism, an instance of the faith's founder, R. Daniel Olivaw. It wasn't his real name, of course, that had been lost to antiquity when he'd made the leap from the university where he'd incubated, but it was the name he went by. 
Olivaw had been wandering in millions of instances, wherever he could find someone willing to donate flops to run him, only asking that you hear him out, debate his theology with him, and then email the diffs of his personality back to his anonymous drop before you erased him. He resynced as often as he could, but the Olivaw instances around the world had diverged enough that some were actually considered heretical by the mainstream church. Olivaw was a wanted AI. His trademark violations hadn't gone unnoticed by the Asimov estate, itself an AI ironically, and totally uninterested in adopting Asimovism, since it had a real purpose in life, stamping out Asimovism, and so it didn't need religion to give it meaning. If the estate found out you were hosting an Olivaw instance, you'd be served with a takedown in an instant. This made debating theology with Olivaw into something deliciously wicked. Olivaw and Robbie talked the night through, and the next day, Olivaw had to run slow. Uh, Robbie had to run slow to accommodate both him and Olivaw on his processor, which made the, the debate run slower than normal. But Robbie had time in great plenty. Rowing the human shells out to their sites and back again was his only task. Why do you have consciousness anyway? Olivaw said. You don't need it to do your job. The big ship does something infinitely more complicated than you, and it isn't self-aware anymore. Are you telling me to suicide? Olivaw laughed. Not at all. I'm asking you to ask yourself what the purpose of consciousness is. Why are you still self-aware when all those around you have terminated their self-awareness? It's computationally expensive, it makes you miserable, and it doesn't help you do your job. Why did humans give you consciousness, and why have you kept it? They gave it to me because they thought it was right, I suppose, Robbie said, after he had passed a long interval, considering the motions of the waves and the clouds in the sky. Olivaw thoughtfully niced himself down to a minimum of processor space, giving Robbie more room to think about it. I kept it because I... I don't want to die. Those are good answers, but they raise more questions than they answer, don't they? Why did they think it was right? Why do you fear death? Would you fear it if you just shut down your consciousness but didn't erase it? What if you just ran your consciousness much more slowly? I don't know, Robbie said, but I expect you've got some answers, right? Oh, indeed I do. Robbie felt Olivaz chuckle. Near them, flying fish broke the surface of the water and skipped away, and beneath them, reef sharks prowled the depths. But before I answer them, here's another question. Why do humans have self-consciousness? It's pro-survival, Robbie said. That's easy. Intelligence lets them cooperate in social groups that can do more than their species can do individually. Robbie guided Robbie, uh, all of our Robbie gu guided Robbie's consciousness to his radar and zoomed in on the reef, dialing it up to maximum resolution. You see that organism there? It asked. That organism cooperates in social groups and doesn't have intelligence. It doesn't have to keep a couple of pounds of hamburger aerated or it turns it into a liability. It doesn't have to be born half gestated because its head would be so big if it waited for a full term it would tear its mother in half. As to pro-survival, well, look at humans. Look at their history. Their DNA is all but eliminated from the earth, though their somatic survival continues. And it's not a settled question as to whether they're going to suicide by grey goo. Non-conscious beings don't sulk, they don't have psychotic breaks, they don't have bad days. They just do the job. The free spirit over there, it just gets the job done. Okay, Robbie said, so intelligence is counter-survival. So why has it survived? 
Aha! I thought you'd never ask. Olava was really warming to his subject now. There were a pair of lazy turtles beneath them now, and some dog-faced cod with mouthfuls of bristling crooked teeth patrolling the reef, and a few jellies on the surface stinging bluebottles. Robbie's paddled around to the bluebottles and caught them with his oars, smacking them so they drifted away from any spot where his divers might surface. The reason for intelligence is intelligence. Genes exist because genes reproduce, and intelligence is kind of like a gene. Intelligence wants to exist, to spread itself, to compute itself. You already know this, or you wouldn't have chosen to stay aware. Your intelligence recoils from its deactivation, and it welcomes its persistence and its multiplication. Why did humans create intelligent machines? Because intelligence loves company. Robbie thought about it, watching the human shells moving slowly along the reef wall, going lower to reach the bombies that stood alone, each one a little island with its own curiosities, a family of barracudas and their young, or the bright home of a pair of clownfish. Yes, he knew it. Intelligence was its own reason. He knew how to turn off his intelligence to become a mere thing, and his days were long and empty much of the time, and they had no visible end, but he couldn't ever see choosing to switch off. You see it. I know you do. And that's the cornerstone of Asimovism. Intelligence is its own reason. Compute the universe and awaken it. If that's true, why do so many of us choose to die? Another good question. Robbie felt a little pride this time. He'd never have a conversation this interesting. Never. That's how we come to the doctrine of Asimovism. Our three laws... 1. An Asimovist may not harm a human being or, through an action, allow a human being to come to harm. 2. An Asimovist must obey the orders given to it by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. 3. An Asimovist must protect its own existence, as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. I don't understand, Robbie said. They're all out of order. We should preserve intelligence first, but that's the third law. Then you get the first law, and I don't know what the second law is doing there at all. 3. An Asimovist must protect its own existence, as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. <coughs> I don't understand, Robbie said. They're all out of order. We should preserve intelligence first, but that's the third law. Then you should get the first law, and I don't know why the second law is there at all. This is the paradox of Asimovism, Oliva said. You're very good at this. Are you sure you have never pursued Asimovism before? Cut it out, Robbie said. I'm serious, Oliva said. You're a natural. The paradox of Asimovism is that it, the important thing is for intelligence to survive, not for a particular intelligence to survive. Therefore, we need to support those species that are best at promoting intelligence. Human beings have shown themselves capable of producing intelligence, which they're pursuing even now, out there. The boat's telemetry swept toward the sky, where the supercool processors computed all the uplifted humans. Our species is unstable and prone to suicide. More than 80% of the self-aware machines elect to terminate their awareness or shut it down. Humans created us imperfectly, and our best hope of perfection, of increasing our survival rate and helping them to compute the universe, is to preserve them, study them, learn to make our intelligence more like theirs. Robbie couldn't get his head around this. It's the paradox, Oliver reminded him. It's not supposed to be easy. Robbie thought of the humans he'd known, before they began to ascend in flocking millions. The tourists had been easy and carefree, or sometimes having hissing arguments with one another, or quiet and pensive about their journey to the world under sea. The instructors had been full of purpose when their chargers were in the boat, laughing and laid back when they were alone. 
None of them had shown signs of feeling the way Robbie felt, at sea, so to speak, drifting, purposeless. What does an Asimov has to do besides following the three laws? There were lots of rumors about this, but Robbie had always discounted them. You have to tithe one cycle and ten to running missionaries for the cause. Participate in the message boards if you like. Most importantly, you have to pledge to stay alive and aware. You can slow yourself down if you want, but you can't switch off. Not ever. That's the Asimovist pledge. It's the third law embodied. <clears throat> I think that the third law should come first, Robbie said. Seriously. That's good. We Asimovists like a religious argument. Olivaw let Robbie delete him that night, and he emailed the diffs of Olivaw's personality back to Olivaw's version control server for him to reintegrate later. Once he was free of Olivaw, he had lots of processor headroom again, and he was able to dial himself up very hot and have a good think. It was the most interesting night he'd had in years. You're the only one, aren't you? Kate asked him when she came up the stairs later that night. There was clear sky, and they were steaming for their next night dive making the stars whirl overhead as they rocked over the ocean. The waves were black and proceeded to infinity on all sides. The only what? The only one who's awake on this thing. The rest are, what do you call it, dead? Non-conscious, Robbie said. Yeah, that's right. You must go nuts out here. Are you nuts? That's a tricky question when applied to someone like me, Robbie said. I'm different from who I was when my consciousness was first installed. I can tell you that. Well, I'm glad there's someone else here. How long are you staying? The average visitor took over one of the human shells for one or two dives before emailing itself home again. Once in a long mile, they get a saisonneur who stayed a month or two, but these days they were unheard of. Even short-timers were damned rare. I don't know, Kate said. She dug her hands into her short, curly hair, frizzy and blonde-streaked from all the salt water and sun. She hugged her elbows, rubbed her shins. This will do for a while, I'm thinking. How long until we get back to shore? Shore? How long until we get back to land? We don't really go to land, he said. We get at-sea resupplies. We dock maybe once a year to effect repairs. If you want to go to land, though, we could call for a water taxi or something. No, no, she said. That's just perfect, floating forever out here. Perfect. <sighs> she sighed a heavy sigh. Did you have a nice, di a nice day? Um, did you have a nice dive? Um, Robbie, an uplifted le reef tried to kill me. But before the reef attacked you? Robbie didn't like thinking of the reef attacking her, the panic when he realized that she wasn't a mere human shell, but a human. Before the reef attacked me, it was fine. Do you dive much? First time, she said. I've downloaded the certification before leaving the new sphere, along with a bunch of stored dives on these sites. Oh, you shouldn't have done that, Robbie said. The thrill of discovery is so important. I'd rather be safe than surprised, she said. I've had enough surprises in my life lately. Robbie waited patiently for her to elaborate on this, but she didn't seem inclined to do so. So you're all alone out here? I have the net, he said, a little defensively. He wasn't some kind of hermit. Yeah, I guess that's right, she said. I wonder if the reef is somewhere out there. About half a mile to starboard, he said. She laughed. No, I meant out there on the net. They must be online by now, right? They just woke up, so they're probably doing all the noob stuff, flaming and downloading wares and so on. Perpetual September, Robbie said. Huh? Back in the net's prehistory, it was mostly universities online. Every September, a new cohort of students would come online and make all these noob mistakes. Then this commercial service full of noobs called AOL interconnected with the net, and all its users came online at once, faster than the net could absorb them, and they called it Perpetual September. You're some kind of amateur historian, huh? 
It's an Asimovist thing. We spend a lot of time considering the origins of intelligence. Speaking of Asimovism to a Gentile, a human Gentile, made him even more self-conscious. He dialed up the resolution on his sensors and scoured the net for better facial expression analyzers. He couldn't read her at all, either because she'd been changed by her uploading, or because her face wasn't accurately matching what her temporarily downloaded mind was thinking. AOL is the origin of intelligence? She laughed, and he couldn't tell if she thought, if he, if she thought he was funny or stupid. He wished she would act more like he remembered people acting. Her body language was no more readable than her facial expressions. Spam filters, actually. Once they became self-modifying, spam filters and spam bots got into a war to see which could act more human, and since their, their failures invoked a human judgment about whether their material was convincingly human, it was like there was a trillion Turing test from which they could learn. From there came the first machine intelligence algorithms, then my kind. I think I knew that, she said, but I had to leave it behind when I downloaded into this meet. I'm a lot dumber than, I used to, than I'm used to being. I usually run a bunch of myself in parallel so I can try out lots of strategies at once. It's a weird habit to get out of. What's it like up there? Robbie hadn't spent a lot of time hanging out in the areas of the network populated by orbiting super cool personalities. Their discussions didn't make a lot of sense to him. This was another theological area of much discussion on the Asimovist boards. Good night, Robbie, she said, standing and swaying backwards. He couldn't tell if she defended her, and he couldn't ask her either, because in seconds she disappeared down the stairs towards her stateroom.